Welcome to Let's Talk Color. I'm Amy Wolf, Principal Designer at Amy Wolf Color and Design. And I'm Amy Crane, Founding Designer at Amy Crane Color. We're both professional color experts who specialize in architectural color. We met while training, and years later, the conversation is still going strong. We both live our lives immersed in color and design. We often agree, but sometimes we don't, because color is personal. Color truths, however, are universal. In each episode, we'll unravel the mystery of choosing color for your home or business, both inside and out. there. This is episode 15, and today Amy and I will be talking about specifying color for multifamily residences. This is a very different animal than a single-family home in every respect, from the size of the buildings to the ownership to what the process is and what your goals are. For instance, the building itself can be an apartment building or a condo or co-op building, or it could be a community of many of them. It can be a small four-unit building or a six-unit or eight-unit building where the owner lives there or doesn't live there. It can be a resort with hundreds of buildings uh, with many, many community buildings that Uh, serve many different functions. It can be an over 55 community. It could be a co-housing community. And in every instance, how you do what you do will be very different than if you were specifying exterior color for a single family. So Amy, why don't you, uh, why don't you start? Tell us a little bit about the different kinds of buildings and communities you've worked with, how the, how the ownership or the people you communicated with were different and how the, how the process was different. So the very first uh, multifamily project I ever did was for a co-housing community here in my area in Western Massachusetts. And for those of you who don't know what co-housing is, it's basically where each home, uh, each, shall we say, family group or homeowner group owns their own house within a cluster of buildings, but all decisions need to be made by consensus. And when I say consensus, that means every single person in the group, so in a, fa- in a community of, let's say, 25 homes, everyone either needs to say yes or to abstain. If there is one no, then the whole thing gets scrapped. Ow. So, Yeah. That's how I got started. And so what's really interesting about that is to date, it's been probably the most challenging multifamily specification I've done because of the process of getting to consensus with 25 owner groups. Um, And then at the other end of the extreme, I've done a number of apartment complexes. One of them is uh, here in Western Mass., uh, one of them was in Texas. And when that is the case, we have the opposite end where you're working with a management company. And so you really, it's, it is again, like working with a single owner. And in some ways it's more analogous to um, doing color for an individual uh, because you really have one small group. And then in between, uh, which has been most of my projects are condo communities where everybody owns their own property. Um, You don't need full consensus. You don't need 100% yes. You just need a majority. 
And that's usually, you know, 51%. In some communities, it's 70%. Um, so there's still a, you know, pitching to a great number of people. So I did 200 plus condos in Florida on the West Coast at one point. And we needed to have, I think, a 70% agreement rate. And there was a whole big legal process. And they have, you know, it's all written up in their um, bylaws. In their bylaws. Yeah. How they go about seeking approval from the entire community. Uh, which even boils down to like knocking door to door with with paint schematics. So, and what's interesting is all these jobs, except obviously the ones here local to me in Western Massachusetts, all these jobs uh, all over the place have been done virtually. I've been to, I've done a bunch of projects in Florida, a high rise building, um, a set of townhouses, uh, mid size, and then a very large uh, complex um, on Harbor Island in Tampa. Uh, which were, you know, multi-level, but, but low-rise, low-rise apartments. So, um, yeah, so the process, you know, the technical process of getting through the approval is very different, as you mentioned in the opening, um, you know, based on ownership. So, and I've always felt that the co-housing challenge was, was deep, <laughs> you know, Getting getting twenty five homeowner groups to consensus really taught me a lot, and has informed you know all these other projects that I've done in terms of, you know how you present when making a case for the color schemes I was proposing. You know the the concept of best practices really comes into play in a new and and very powerful way. You know, and I'm thinking about resale. I'm thinking about you know the the architectural appropriateness you know, sort of going back to what we talked about in the last episode, you know, what is the style of the architecture? What makes sense for that? And that's what I'm talking about, best practices. We were doing a five-color plan, or maybe I think the painter said five, and then we had to drop to four. Mm -hmm. I can't remember. But for me, the, the important piece was keeping all the trim the same. And that was sort of the best practices issue. Right. Uh, people wanted to be able to use some of the field colors as trim. So we were doing, you know, a green, a soft red, a yellow, a blue. And some of the folks wanted to use green for trim or or get creative. And I was like, no, 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 no. I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> well, in a situation like that, I mean, I think if people choose to live in co-housing or something like that, they're, you know, they're choosing a way of life and they're choosing a tighter connection to one another. And so I do think, I mean, we were going to talk about considerations a little bit later in the broadcast, but um, I think uh, tying tying the houses together in some way is incredibly important. And certainly using the same trim is a great way to do it, especially if you have uh, multiple colors uh, in the, in the whole community. I've worked on um, a large resort community with four or 500 residential units that were both uh, freestanding, but most were connected and uh, that had multiple, multiple community buildings, like the um, places you can eat, places where they taught, utility buildings, a stable, um, a giant wreck area with a pool in front of it, gatehouses, fencing. I mean, there were many structures to take into consideration besides the living units themselves. Um, 
and I've I've done a, a number of uh, condo communities in Seattle, also virtually, where they were getting major renovations. So they had been in existence for maybe 20 or 30 years, and it was time for t- a total facelift. I was contacted by a project management company, one single individual who was the owner of it, and he was the contact point. Like you said, sometimes there's a single person who's like uh, like a homeowner, except he had to then go on and talk to the boards. So what the process was in that scenario was very different. What he went off to do, I came up with the color palette choices. They told me also how many colors they wanted, how many palette choices they wanted. Um, and then they came back to me. And if, if there were um, adjustments that they wanted, we went on and made adjustments to all that. And he dealt with who was sort of selling it in quotes to whom. Uh, and I was just dealing with him. And that was super streamlined. But in the resort community in Connecticut, um, it was an architectural board that was uh, put together by the director's board. And so I was presenting to them, they were presenting to the directors, and then the directors might come back and have a comment. And so you were sort of filtering it it through two layers and eventually went on to all of the owners. And I don't know what their approval process needed to be, how many people people had to approve of it. I, I was really pushing for the community buildings to be a different coordinating color with all the residences from the standpoint of this was such a large community just for variety and interest sake, as well as just, you know, as we know, color can signal function so easily. So, so easy to tell that those kind of buildings were not for living in. I don't know when it was painted previously, but it was all tan with brown trim. You know, so yeah, really, really dated. So, you know, it looks so refreshed and so modern that I definitely think it was a, a, a success. Yeah, of course, the timeline is different also. I mean, you know, you, ha- you have to come up with, uh, okay, this is when I'm going to present. This is when I'd like, you know, what's our end goal? When do you, when do you, when do you want to go to your community and ask for approval? Then what's the process on your side? How much time then? until the painters will come and stuff like that and sort of back out of some end date and come up with a timeline that works for everyone. So you're really, I mean, that's one thing that I'm really on top of maybe from my producing days. It's like, okay, here's when you're going to get your first round. This is when I expect comments or any changes. This is when you'll get revisions. This is when you plan on approvals. And so- and so you can plot out the f- whole thing from the beginning, which is really helpful to not be just kind of flailing in the wind, wondering when you're going to hear back about this, that, or the other thing. So yeah, when when I'm doing uh, color for condo communities and apartment buildings in Florida, um, we are driven by the rainy season, you know. So we need to get started well in advance of the rain because once the rain comes in Florida, it's much harder to do the painting. Sure, same in Seattle. Yeah. So, and yeah, and the same is, oh, come on, it's always raining in Seattle. It only doesn't rain in June, right? Yeah. So let's, let's talk about what we, uh, what the considerations are. Um, You know, obviously a resort community is going to be different than a condo, but, you know, generalizing and all, um, you know, I was contacted by um, also a a co-op building community on the east coast of Florida. And uh, they also wanted a a refresh. 
and they were very, and they were older than brand new, apparently high end, beautiful buildings in their area, right there near them on the water. And uh, so they were like, comp- it was a co-op. They were competing for owners. They wanted to, um, they wanted to keep, they wanted the same target demographic as those buildings, but they were the older building. So they wanted to really give themselves a facelift so that people would be just as attracted to them to buy there as their neighbors. So um, there are many different things like that that you take into consideration in, in buildings and communities like this that are completely irrelevant in terms of um, homeowners who, of course, think about resale, but uh, you know, it's very different, right? It is. And, and I would agree with you. Uh, I'd say the majority of the fr- Florida projects I've done, um, they've been older buildings in areas that have been built up. There's a lot of new construction all around them. And it's funny because what we've been doing is getting rid of a lot of that peach, <laughs> sort of peachy, pinky, you know, terracotta type colors that were, you know, I guess popular, what, in the 80s maybe the 90s, I mean, and stayed popular Mm -hmm. in Florida for a long time. And it's kind of sad because that color sort of has that Florida look and that vibe. But of course, everything around it is all going gray, you know, oyster white, gray, um, you know. So in order to send the signal that these buildings and these communities are up to date and current because I do think that color sends that kind of a signal. You know, the instant you look at a dated color, you think, ugh, that building's old. Whereas if you see a color that fits in more with the new construction, I think it sends a subconscious signal that, you know, things are things aren't quite so old. So anyway. It's so amazing. It's so amazing how the gray thing just um, traveled throughout the country, even to places where the uh, the light is so bright and the sun is out all the time, which is um, which is actually just not the best scenario for painting a building gray. I mean, the association is kind of with elegance, and so you know, people in in warmer weather, warmer locales like Florida, I guess, kind of glommed onto that national feeling that gray meant current and gray meant sophisticated. And I get wanting that, but um, it's, it's just kind of too bad because it's, it's a missed opportunity to not get, you know, geographic location is so important when you pick color and, you know, you want it to be appropriate for the style of building, the architectural style, as well as where it is. And uh, to just go gray, you know, it's sad. I get it, but it's sad, you know? And then I was really, um, determined with these two particular projects I'm thinking of um, to uh, one was a very uh, it was a colorful gray you know there was a lot of it was a darker value it wasn't like whitish gray and um, that was really about the surroundings this was up in Tampa on Harbor Island and that set of buildings was really nestled into lush lush beautiful plantings, gorgeous landscape, really ugh, just yummy. So I think, you know, by using a darker gray that helped those buildings um, settle into the landscape and not, you know, stand out like stark white would have. Um, but 
But for that uh, project and for another project I'm thinking of in Fort Lauderdale, I definitely used color as accents, you know, color on doors, color Mm -hmm. on, did not use color on railings in Tampa. Um, The Fort Lauderdale project, we painted the, um, every unit had a balcony and all the balcony ceilings got pale blue so that from a distance, the building looked like it was, you know, oyster, oyster color. But then when you got up close to it and you looked straight up, you could see this, you know, accent of blue going up the sides of the buildings where the balconies were located. So, you know, we did a little something fun. <laughs> well, certainly it's true that when you're talking about, you know, um, skyscrapers, you know, great, great vertical expanses or horizontal expanses, it gives you the opportunity to use rhythm uh, more so than in a house because you've got the space, you've got the real estate to repeat and alternate. And that certainly creates a rhythm. I mean, I think in terms of just how you specify a really an outstanding difference in my mind between residences and multifamily like this, the big ones, is that you're able to, in fact, encourage to, I think, use multiple colors. Because if you take this big monolith of a single building or many buildings next to each other, often whose shape and form is exactly the same, you know, you could do two things. You can paint whole buildings one color, but alternate it between the buildings. But much more common to do, and I think rightly so, is to paint each building a multitude of colors. And, you know, you have to do it with skill. Obviously, it can't be garish. It can't be stupid. They they, they have to coordinate with one another. They have to enhance one another and um, creating a creating a pattern creating a rhythm as you look at the building as you go past the building is really fun and exciting to do you know one of the most interesting part of my two-hour ride on Amtrak from Hudson New York to New York City is passing um, big communities as you get closer and closer to the city. And uh, they're in Yonkers, they're in Westchester, they're kind of all over. And there's some really big ones. And um, I'm always snapping pictures of it because I think it's just so interesting how differently people assign color to large buildings. But uh, especially if you're in a moving vehicle as you're going past it, you really get to experience the rhythm and the change of the colors and the pattern uh, in a different way, kind of more enhanced way than if you're just standing in front of the building and moving your head and looking at building versus building. Um, You know, many, many buildings have undulating facades, you know, bump outs and recesses, which is really a great way to think about alternating colors. And then you get to have that um, discussion with yourself about, well, light colors uh, uh, come forward and dark colors recede. So do you want to enhance that or do you want to buck that and do the reverse? And I actually think that it looks better if you don't buck it. So to put the lighter colors on the advancing part of the architecture and the darker ones and the receding one just kind of um, enhances the undulation of the facade and um, it, it benefits it. And, you know, of course, I'm not talking about black versus white or gray versus white. It's all done with colors, but as we've talked about so many times, 
colors have different values. So uh, yeah, you're, you're dealing with uh, the usual three things that we deal with. Chroma, which is saturation, value, which is lightness, darkness, and hue, which is color. And you use all three of those tools to come up with a, a pattern in the end that's really pleasing. So what kind of um what kind of problems have you seen when you've when you've passed buildings? Oh, <laughs> oh when I've passed the buildings. <laughs> um oh God. I mean I think for me probably the 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 thing that makes me cringe the most are two things. One is when the whole building is just dark and dreary and sad, you know, like really dark gray, charcoal, black with, with no respite, you know, that to me feels like a trend gone really wrong. I have a hard time with that. And then big shock. I have a really hard time with a high contrast Mm -hmm. where an exterior combines black and white. Um, And I feel like I have seen this for sure um, out in California. And I know it's like the thing and trendy, but I also feel like those buildings are going to be dated. You know, you got to wonder what's going to be the peach of 2050, 2030, even, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. like at what point are all these gray and white buildings or black and white buildings going to start to look like harvest gold and avocado green to people, you know? But in the meantime, I think just ergonomically, the harsh black and white, it's just not humane. It just doesn't feel good. You know, I think what we want to do in our urban landscape is create a more humane experience. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, we have to live in cities, but do we have to live in cities that are black and white and gray? You know, can't we live in cities that are, you know, gray green? (laughs) (laughs) You know, can't can't we live in cities that, that provide a little humane color? I think the answer could be yes. So Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I mean, too many colors, too few colors. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, one whole monolith of one color is incredibly boring. I mean, that harkens back more to the days when those buildings were brick and uh and and the brick was all one color. Um and bad color combinations and um just this the interplay of dark versus light and uh, that kind of thing those are all the kind of problems that i've that i've seen um what else yeah and think things just don't make that don't make sense you know there's a there's a little community of of cottages um down the hill from me here in new england that are painted to me it looks bahamian you know like caribbean colors and um it's a, a housing community for um, single moms, I think. It just feels out of place and weird. I also think that's a great way to use interior color. And I'd put money down that the exteriors are Caribbean colors and the interiors are all linen white. Oh. And so my contention would be, Let's keep the colors outside New England and let's give these people a little bit of color inside, you know, which obviously yeah. is harder to maintain. It's harder. It's a harder offering, you know, and I get that. But yeah, yeah. I mean, like you started off saying, I mean, color is, uh, it can be so supportive to how people live, their well-being, their health, their mental state and all of that. It's, it is definitely a missed opportunity if you don't use it to enhance um, both the appeal of a building from the outside, but even more importantly, how you feel when you live inside. Absolutely. 
Right, right. And I mean, I think that's an important thing to think about. You know, what's the demographic? You know, who are we coloring these buildings for? You know, um, I did a big rental community in Texas and it was kind of an entry level price point. Um, kind of what I would say, starter homes, you know, young families, lots of kids. Um, it wasn't, you know, kind of like upscale retirement rental, you know, or condo. And I think that's a different demographic. And, and for that group of people, we did something a little more lighthearted, a little less serious, a little Mm -hmm. less austere, you know, Mm -hmm. a little more color. Um, again, trying to honor the landscape and, and, you know, the surroundings, um, but also thinking about, okay, who's our target market? Who's going to be living here? What's their age? What, what's going to please them? So thanks for joining us. We love having you here and we hope you enjoyed this, uh, this episode of paint color for multifamily, um, residential dwellings. Uh, We invite you to leave a review for us if you've enjoyed this episode. So like it, share it, um, subscribe. You can find us anywhere. And you can always write to us at letstalkpaintcolor.com. We'll see you next time. I hope you've learned something a little bit more about color for the built world. Mm